2: and so, for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just two dollars a month. That is an almost eighty percent discount. The clock is ticking on this; it disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to CanadaLand.com/Join, and thank you. Manisha Krishnan.
1: Is this election over yet?
2: Senior editor Advice. Joining me in studio in Toronto. It's been a long time since in studio. Welcome back to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Today on the show, sullen ways. Justin Trudeau is losing his temper, and it seems to be kind of working out for him. Also, the federal leaders debate. Clusterfuck shit show or multi-schmuck bro-row? It's election 44, Manisha. The choice is yours.
1: So happy about it.
2: <laughs> this episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Michael Nicholson, James Franze, Laura McDonald, Kim Maggie, Will Kinchley, Jeff Wint, Rachel Brewer, and Matthew. My name is Matthew Butler, and I'm a technical writer
0: from Ottawa. I support Canada Land because of their coverage on Canadian news media, as well as their long form documentaries and investigative coverage.
2: All right, checking in on all things uh, election and media, Manisha. Like, I think it's just a simple sequence of events to describe things this way. Trudeau was campaigning against O'Toole and Singh, and he was losing. And polls suggested that he may have badly misjudged by calling this election. Not only might he not get his majority, it looked like he might lose his job. Then he switched from campaigning against O'Toole and Singh to campaigning against the anti-vaxxers, and that seems to have been working, and and liberals are now neck and neck with the conservatives. So in our discussion today about the optics of the election and not, and not the politics itself necessarily, my read is this. His old brand, like smiley, sunny Trudeau, was not working anymore. Like Some people were always nauseated by that, and I think that now everyone was just kind of
1: there's no there's no way it could work really for an incumbent, I don't think, because at this point he's scandal plagued. It's a much more cynical brand of politics, I think, than when he entered. Um, and so I just don't think that Sunnyway's label could have stuck.
2: No. And all of the things that kind of gave that any kind of substance at all, be it his diversity or feminism or his approach to indigenous issues, like all of those things were not working for him. So smiley default Trudeau, not a good look. But then- petulant, angry Trudeau when directed against Singh and O'Toole. That didn't work because it's like, dude, you're the one who called this election, so what are you getting so angry about? He just looked like this kind of brat throwing a tantrum. And then he starts directing the anger, as I've been describing over the, the weeks, like he, he started just let loose on these real vile morons. And now they're coming at his wife. So it's like, yeah, get angry at those people. That works, and I think it's been resonating with people.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing that I had noticed was that initially he was sort of downplaying the hecklers at his events. And he was saying, you know, let's meet them with compassion. And then, you know, I think there was a moment on um, the bus or the plane where he was he was comparing it to having uh, sunflower seeds thrown at him when there was gravel thrown at him. And it was sort of a like he was brushing it off like, oh, I've had you know, I've had similar things happen to me. But the very next day. His speech was very sort of, there was this element of bravado to it. It was like, we're not going to tolerate this. I think he even used the line, Canadians are polite, but they're also made of steel.
2: I have my (laughs) limits and I'm not backing down. Here's what he sounds like now. He's been going just like, you know, if I was running his campaign, I'd say this, keep doing that. I'm not going to back down on a message that Canadians know is the right
0: path forward. Isn't there a hospital you should be going to bother right now? Canadians know that I have pretty thick skin and I am able to take uh, all sorts of different abuse, especially if it means that someone is not uh, somewhere else hassling frontline health workers or vulnerable Canadians. But he went after my family. He said hateful, misogynistic things about my wife.
2: Canadians know that that guy has pretty thick skin and can take all kinds of abuse. Do we know that? I'm not sure that's the first thing I'd say about him, <laughs> but here here's what angry trudeau is able to do. angry trudeau who's angry at anti-vaxxers has been able to control the narrative. and every day of an election campaign is who gets to decide what the papers cover. trudeau vows to criminalize healthcare protests reports the cbc. they're already criminal like there are laws against disrupting a hospital, blocking a hospital anyhow. Trudeau vows to criminalize healthcare protests. That is a headline news from the CBC. It's not right. Trudeau vows to criminalize blocking access to hospitals and protests, reports Global. Trudeau to protesters. Isn't there a hospital you should be going to bother right now? Even his just like barb. Like, shouldn't you be bothering healthcare workers? That's a headline from Global. He went after my family. Trudeau defends his response to protester, reports CTV. Trudeau lashes out at protester who used slur about his wife, CBC. So this is like. This is the good fight for Trudeau, and you know we have conversations in newsrooms all the time about whether or not a protest is worthy of coverage. Like, there were safe supply protests in Vancouver, and you know we're like, well, does this deserve coverage? And like, you know, how many people were there? And is this have they been doing this a lot? You know, Ferry Creek—that's a protest. It's like it's a historic protest. We're constantly trying to determine, and we have all these different kind of pretty flexible. Criteria for whether a protest is worthy of coverage. But what Trudeau knows is he has the power to make that debate moot. Like as soon as the prime minister is recognizing the protesters and saying shit, then there's no debate in the newsroom. You cover it.
1: You cover it. I mean, yeah. And and I think it just takes away from him really getting grilled on other topics, um, on actual policy. The more time that he can eat up, the more news cycles that he can take up talking about this issue. And you have the press corps continuing to ask questions about it. That's kind of good for him, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, the polls would suggest that it's good for him. And I think, like, so far, you know, I'm not really saying that what he should or shouldn't be doing. Like, my opinion is that he's doing the right thing, you know, from from his own self-interest point of view. This is just politics. I'm not going to pretend to be shocked or appalled by him, like, doubling and tripling down on a winning message. My criticism comes in in that this is a symbiotic relationship where, you know, and I've said this before, like, at a lot of these occasions... He's been met with like 25 or 100 protesters that if the cops were just pushing them back behind a barricade, they wouldn't be on camera. He could have just been like, these are just sunflower seeds. Let's not give them any oxygen. And he has not done that. They're not at a remove. And they are getting their message across again and again and again. And to kind of refine what I've been saying in recent weeks, I'm not saying that they're like a big nothing. Um, the protests outside of the hospitals, the protests in BC, obviously these anti-vaxxers, these People's Party supporters, that is a growing movement. It's not like it's insignificant, but they are they are playing with each other. Like this is being good for them and good for Trudeau. And whenever he regards them, they get more coverage, which is the point. It's like they're going to get integrated into Canadian politics one way or the other. And there's this debate about whether they should be kind of like legitimized and allowed into the debates or not. And I I, I can very much understand people saying absolutely not. But they are being brought in in that it plays into their narrative for the prime minister of Canada, who they despise, to be casting them as, as deplorable subhumans. And then they don't get to talk. Um, I'm not calling for favorable coverage of them. I think that ignoring them, you know, in many instances is probably the right thing to do. Anyhow, I guess I'm just observing that they are getting tons of press off of this shit.
1: Yeah, they're getting tons of press. I guess what bothers me to an extent is that they're not just protesting masks or vaccines, like a lot of them are very much connected to hatred and racism and misogyny and these like sort of larger systemic issues and Trudeau is kind of has kind of become the victim here, the main victim um, of these, you know, some of these people who have very vile views. And a lot of those larger systemic issues have gone unaddressed. They've gone unaddressed in this campaign. Trudeau hasn't really like faced them head on. And so I guess that is one note that I would make. uh, That's super
2: interesting. I hadn't thought like these people, a big part of their message is a racist message. It's an anti-immigrant message. And yet, the extent to which Trudeau is engaged with them is like, you called my wife a dirty name, you know, I'm taking a stand against you. And and that part of it gets kind of erased and not addressed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I'm sure Jugmeet Singh deals with similar stuff on the campaign trail all the time. We've seen clips of that, but, um, I guess that's my criticism is that it just seems like a sort of superficial level that the coverage is, is focused on.
2: To get into that stuff would be like, You know, to actually sit down with Trudeau and ask him about all these things that he's just not looking good at to bring up Jody Wilson, Ray Bold and, you know, the stance that he took at the beginning of like, look at my cabinet, look at these people who are with me. It's like, well, by that metric, let's look at the people who've left you and and who couldn't abide you. Like talk about taking indigenous kids to court, talking about these are all issues that he's not looking good at, talking about whether he calls himself a feminist anymore and whether he has the right to talking about his environmental record all the things that like finally because he needs to make himself because he needs votes in BC he made himself available to an interview there and this is like you've interviewed him before he's not like that available
1: oh no to, i to media yeah i don't think i'll ever get the chance to interview him again um but yeah no it's been hard he's like a hard guy to get a hold of because He's an incumbent, so he has more to lose by sitting down and having these like really long, extended conversations with journalists, where he he's going to get grilled on his record.
2: It's only when he needs something that he'll make himself vulnerable in that way, and and he did so uh, to Global News reporter anchor Nitu Garcha. And she gave him that grilling. She and beat him up. She went hard on those specific issues, uh, Reconciliation Bill 21, which he refuses to call discriminatory.
1: Beyond that, he is now saying that the debate consortium should apologize for the way that that question was phrased to Blanchette, um about, you know, it being a discriminatory law.
2: Well, yeah, I want to we're going to talk about the debate later on. And I think that that's that's it right there is like wanting to have it both ways of like pandering to Quebec While trying to maintain your bona fides as an anti-racist and, you know, these things just are not can't be harmonized. So it's great to see somebody just like grill him on that. Afghanistan, you know, we knew this was coming and the lack of preparation there. He did, I think, an adequate job as a politician, avoiding questions of just kind of batting away. But the most revealing thing in that interview was the end
0: All right, Mr. Trudeau, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much again for your time.
2: This is an election on big things that we didn't get to
0: talk about. We didn't talk about the pandemic. We didn't talk about climate change. These are the decisions people are taking. This is what people care about in B.C. Mr. Trudeau, what people care about is among many things, reconciliation. And yes. that's why that was among the top questions uh, that I've asked I, I you today. We agree. have run the debate. We have run major news conferences that you have held throughout the campaign. Our colleagues across the country have asked for opportunities to interview you and yes. ask a range of topics, and
1: you've denied their request. This is likely, wow. from what we well, understand, listen, the only opportunity I'm
0: excited to continue talking to British Columbians about climate change and about ending this pandemic for good and about the important choice uh, BCers and all Canadians need to make on how we move forward. Great. Thank you very much again for your time. Thank you.
2: Wow!
1: Wow! Wow!
2: <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 you you can hear it there, but the visuals add something to it that just oh, yeah. like this, like frozen smile <laughs> on his face, and behind it, <laughs> like
1: seething. <laughs> what do you think is like actually
2: being communicated in that moment where he's where he's like?
1: I think he was seething. Like I think he was really frustrated, and sh- I think he was shocked actually that she was just sort of cutting off the interview there. Um, And that he didn't get to, I guess, um, pander to B.C. voters in whatever way he wanted to about climate. But I thought that it was really revealing that he said, you know, there's big issues in this election. Like, I think unintendedly, he was sort of suggesting that the topics that she brought up about social justice, like race and reconciliation, were not the big issues. And so she sort of checked him. And then I kind of liked how she also said, my colleagues have been requesting interviews and you've denied them. Uh, and so she was kind of trying to say, this is the only chance that we've got. And I really liked how she just kind of threw that right back at him.
2: Yeah, she was She was good. She was on point. And there was something unsettling about his, like, you, like we've heard this from former ministers of his that, like, when challenged, he does not like it. Really, he's saying, we didn't talk about the things that I have better answers for. but. Telling her how to do her job and telling her, this is what you should have asked me about, you know, both minimizing the things that she brought up, which it's true he hasn't been held to account uh, on by other reporters. So, like, that's what you do. Like, I'm not looking, if I get a key interview like that to replicate the questions that he's got polished talking points on and has answered to Rosie Barton and everybody else, I'm looking for the things like, how can I hold him to account and get his answers on these other things that nobody's asked him about? Like, that's absolutely doing her job. And advocating for other colleagues of hers who, you know, didn't get the interview because they're not in provinces where he thinks, you know, there are undecideds and, and, you know, swing writings. But he's telling her how to do her job and then he's kind of like there's this like sense people are going to think that I'm reading too much into this, but to me, it's just plain as day at the end. He's just like, wow. Well, I look forward to talking to other people about the things that really matter. Like, that's what I took out of that at the end. He's just like, fuck you. You blew it. You could have asked me the real thing, but British Columbians are interested in these other things. And that's what I'm going to continue talking to them about. So enough of this.
1: Yeah. I read it as arrogance. Um, and I do think there's certain moments with Trudeau where his mask sort of slips and there's this like haughty kind of energy to him. It's funny. Cause I, See some similarities between that exchange and what Jody Wilson-Raybould's um, her book excerpt said about how he was sort of pressing her, and when he realized that she was not going to like bend the knee and do what he wanted, then the energies just changed, and he got. You know, pissed off essentially. And I feel like that was kind of what happened at the end of this interview where he was like, Oh, really? You're not going to let me get in any of my talking points? Like, it was like, You're not going to play ball with me. Like, I'm the prime minister. That's how I read into it, you know? And he was just so taken aback and like insulted by that.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty sad election we got going here where like, (laughs) (laughs) we're like, we really have to grasp at straws to find some moment where. You know, he can be so like, so he'll go back. That didn't work out so well, but you know how many people watched it? Anyhow, it's, you know, so he, he'll he go back to yelling at the anti-vaxxers and hope that that sees him through next week.
1: Yeah. Great job. Me too. You did the interview. I would have loved to do.
2: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there. A lot of mattress liars, Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Manisha, we duly note things on this show that deserve uh, wider attention. What do you have?
1: So I wanted to uh, draw everyone's attention to an article from The Globe that was circulating on Twitter yesterday, but it was a column by John Ibbotson. So, the headline was The People's Party is far outside the mainstream of Canadian politics, but it deserves representation. And so, essentially, he's arguing that, you know, yeah, the People's Party have all these fringe beliefs, like they're anti immigration and they believe in um, assimilation, basically, to white Western values. But they deserve representation in our parliament. And I just thought that that was quite the take. Um, It did not go over well on Twitter. And so the Globe has added a note to it where they – I think there's one. I'm just going to pull it up so I don't botch it because there was one particular line um, that – yeah. So it was, there are plenty of reasons why so many people have become resentful and untrusting. The loss of manufacturing jobs due to offshoring, the increasing number of non-European immigrants, the stress of the pandemic, the self-empowerment that comes from reject- rejecting authority.
2: Whoa, John, what was the middle part there? Well, it's like, there's yeah. this there's this very familiar <laughs> list of like, look, people have a reason to be angry. They're losing their jobs. Times are tough. Immigrants who aren't from Europe. Wait, wait, wait. Say that one. away. <laughs>
1: It was bonkers. And so The Globe, I think, has added a line now saying, this is racist, but it's how they feel. (laughs) And that's like their way of fixing the article.
2: Um, Duly noted, there is a debate that is like, the presentation was terrible, the headline was terrible, and the way that that was written, like which essentially was saying like, hey, there's some good reasons why people are upset, and then the racist one in the middle, terrible. Um, There's a fundamental question that's being worked out right now, which is like, in a democracy where people get to choose their path and form parties and represent whatever damn thing they want, every now and then people en masse will get behind stupid shit. And the debate as I see it is that there are people saying, look, whether they're right or wrong, they have a right to form a party. If the party is big enough, they've got a right to go to a debate. It has to play itself out because the will of the people is, is what drives a democracy. And then another voice saying, when the ideas are stupid enough, shut it down don't let that, any legitimacy. The legitimacy is not based on anything of their idea. It's just based on like, if enough people get behind anything, I guess in a democracy, they get to do their thing. And that is an interesting fundamental question that it seems like there is a growing body of, of opinion out there saying, no, no. Like history has taught us, you don't make room for those opinions. And then that gets us into like a larger thing of like, okay, but then who's calling the shots as to which ideas don't get entrance and which ones do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've heard people say that they should should have been allowed to debate because then you could actually press O'Toole on how the conservatives have sort of uh, emboldened some of the ideology that's now sort of shifted to the PPC, which I thought was kind of an interesting way of looking at it, um, because he's obviously very much trying to distance himself even from like the Harper conservative era. So I don't know. I just think that for the paper of record to say that this fringe party deserves representation in in parliament is a bit absurd. Like, would they say that about Black Lives Matter protesters or land defenders? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're just saying these people are angry or they're worked up about something. So that means they deserve representation in parliament. That to me seems a bit insane.
2: And the way that they said it (laughs) They showed their ass. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Duly noted. I'll duly note another piece in The Globe, which was widely mocked um, by Robert Fife and Stephen Chase. And, you know, it came out, and, and uh, here's the headline Justin Trudeau's book was republished by a Chinese state owned company after he became prime minister. And there's like this moment where you're like, because it's Fife and Chase, like, oh, they got some, it's a new one from <laughs> Fife and Chase. It's <laughs> a late breaking thing on Trudeau. They fa-. And you're like, what? I think that Robert Hilts jokingly said, well, this changes everything because yeah. of course, it, it changes nothing. And um, if you take this as here's your like last minute surprise that's going to affect the election and that's the intent of this piece, it's a nothing. And that was my take when I read the headline. Then I read the article and I don't think that it's going to change the election or change any votes, mm-hmm. but it's fucking interesting.
1: Is it? I didn't read. I saw the tweets about it and then personally wasn't interested in it so I,
2: I had no prior knowledge of like how book publishing works in china yeah same but surprise surprise all of the book publishers are controlled by the communist government and
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, have to be like recognized and licensed and you know i don't think exclusively but de facto can be utilized as propaganda and if we trust this article then this is a a classic ploy, say, China experts, by Beijing. They will republish a book by somebody that they're trying to, like, kiss ass. And and back before relations with China went to shit, uh, they were kissing Trudeau's ass and... This was a time when Chinese billionaires were donating money to the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. This was a time when Beijing-connected businessmen were paying to attend liberal cash-for-access fundraisers with Trudeau. And there was, like, free trade agreements. Like, there was, like, a lot of China-Canada stuff. And here is this state-connected book publisher. And the promotional material was interesting. The Globe dug up, like, the way that they were promoting this in China, (laughs) they said, you know, buy this book by Trudeau, Chinese citizens. His father's outstanding charisma and leadership qualities can be found. in Justin Trudeau, he has a handsome appearance and has been praised as the Hollywood face. (laughs) And there's like blurbs from the Chinese ambassador to Canada at the time. They talked about how Canada is in the grip of Trudeau fever. So it's like an interesting little story. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a business deal that Trudeau did. And I don't buy any of this shit like, oh, my publisher. Like, no, this is your book. And whether you were aware of it or not, like they're cutting deals with a foreign power while you were the prime minister of Canada to aggrandize you across China while your government is involved in all these negotiations. There's like no reason why the Globe and Mail shouldn't run a story like that. I guess is what I, you know, I learned something from it. And it was definitely an interesting story that I thought I would duly note.
1: Duly noted. Before we begin, please
0: answer the questions you're asked. Do not interrupt each other. I don't want to cut you off, but I will if I have to, okay? Our first woman uh, finance minister has moved forward. On, uh, all right, ch- on, all uh, right on Mr. Child Trudeau. Care, Mr. Uh, Trudeau, I'm sorry, that's time. The we have to move on. Cabinet. You should have gotten the job done in Afghanistan, Mr. O'Toole. As, uh, as hold, of the on, hold on,
1: this is not open debate.
2: We saw the worst conditions in the world. Mr. Singh, profit. we're going to have that time to chat completely... with that
0: later. The topic is China, human rights, and economic growth. To you, Ms. Paul.
2: Well, that was Shachi Curl, president of the polling firm Angus Reid, moderating the federal leaders' debate. The media did not like her. Pretty unified media reaction. Everybody called it a farce. John Doe of the Globe and Mail, moderator Shachi Curl, took the view that her job was to stop the leaders from talking. Goldstein over The Sun, Canada's official leaders debate a farce, Ian Patterson from The Chronicle Journal, leaders were stifled by the moderator's shrill discipline. Manisha, <laughs> what did you think of Shachi?
1: Uh, I mean, I would disagree that it was sort of universally panned because I did see a lot of journalists who liked it, but I thought that... You know, she definitely came out guns blazing with that first round of questions. I personally enjoyed it. I like that she was setting a tone like this is not going to be a cozy, comfortable debate for you where you can just repeat talking points. Um, And she was asking very pointed questions. The trouble in, in, you know, this type of situation is it's hard to get any genuine moments. And so sometimes I feel like the only genuine moment you can get is when there's some tension or some, you know, I don't know, an emotional reaction or response of some kind. And so I feel like her kind of moderating in an aggressive way, maybe it did allow for a couple of those moments to pop up. So it didn't bother me personally, her, her, her moderating style. What did you think? She was dope. <laughs> yeah, you <he> liked it. <laughs>
2: I mean, look, I'll say this. Uh, I have a fundamental problem with a pollster being the moderator.
1: You yeah, know? that and was weird.
2: Polling firms have affiliations. Angus Reid is a right-leaning polling firm. I was ready to not like her. And then, like, the thing starts, and they're all, like, trained and puffed up and polished as, as much as Canadian politicians are polished. And she's just, like, from the get. She's just like, stop, no, fuck that, this. And I'm just like what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Like, it took me a minute to, to like, oh, this is like actually has some energy to it. They're put on the back heel and they're not just going to go. And she's like keeping them in line. And you can just see this look of panic in each of their eyes. Like, I wasn't expecting this. And that gave things energy and electricity and crackle that is usually just like sorely lacking. That being said, it ultimately was torture to watch that full thing.
1: Oh, yeah. I
2: mean, like, it was a farce, but it's yeah. not her fault.
1: No, and I mean, I do think that this criticism comes up pretty much every debate. I, I feel like every single debate, people are like, oh, nobody got anything useful out of that. It was just like a shouting match or whatever. Um, the format, yeah, it was a bit confusing at times. Like, I didn't fully understand Sometimes she was just asking two people about one question. Sometimes it's like they weren't allowed to debate with each other. So that, it was a little bit confusing. And then you add in, like, the different journalists, a merry-go-round of, like, random journals coming out. I do think that was a bit of a shit show. But I don't know that it was any worse than any other federal Canadian debate that I've seen.
2: We get what we deserve. I mean, The the Globe was like, this was an insult to Canadians. Canadians get what they deserve. (laughs) No, like we get the democracy we deserve because there are other countries where the campaign lasts longer and there are many debates and everybody talks about them every day and every ad gets analyzed. And we do not have patience for our own fucking democratic process here. So the federal leaders debate and really by by the federal leaders debate, I mean, the first 12 minutes is like about as much time as most Canadians have for the entire election. People are completely checked out of this until Labor Day. People are not reading the platforms. And then it's like, all right, this is like, there's more debate in French than there is in English. English-speaking Canadians just don't have that much time to participate in our democracy. So we can go over like, oh, which format, which is also not up to the moderator to set the, uh, the format. That's predetermined. But there is no right format to discuss everything that matters in one debate. It is a farce. It's like, okay, the next 10 minutes is on reconciliation. Like, they're trying. Like, getting Melissa in from APTN was a huge improvement over 2019. Mm -hmm. When they insulted indigenous people, like, you can, like, hold the microphone while other people ask questions was, I think, what they offered. And we tried to excoriate them for that. And, you know, (laughs) if we had anything to do with them improving upon that, I'm very glad. But I'm just glad that they improved upon that. And, And she was good with what she was dealt, which is like, you know a few minutes to address huge complicated issues and then to give each leader uh, a crack at it. So what's it going to be but a bunch of just, what was it, tomatoes being lobbed?
1: Across the Pacific.
2: Tomatoes lobbed. Was it t- it's weird to think that, like, d- did he have, like, you know, staffers. Write you know, that line. Yeah, we're like, here, we got This is
1: <laughs> a good diss. <laughs> <laughs> We've
2: been workshopping material. We got this tomato one that we think you're really <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was weird. No, I feel like that young, young Merrick, the 18-year-old, um, kind of summed it up when he had asked the leaders, you know, why he should trust any of them on reconciliation. And, you know, they went on and on and on and they go back to Merrick and they're like, Do you do you have any follow-up? And he was like, No. <laughs> like, he's probably like, I'm good. Like, yeah,
2: yeah. Do I want more of that? <laughs> no. That guy was charming.
1: Yeah, he was.
2: So here we go again. It's it's like we'll see what happens next week. I uh, it'll be the same. I think we'll (laughs) come out of this, and it's it it, It will
1: be over.
2: (laughs) That will yeah. The big change will be that it will be over. Yeah. That's your shortcuts. (laughs) I can be emailed at jessie at canadaland.com, and I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. Listen to the backbench. They talk about this stuff with more passion than I do, <laughs> um, but a lot of substance to it. They've been doing a fantastic job. Really proud of that show. Uh, check that out. And check out their, actual, their, their election follow-up show, which is going to be fantastic. Manisha, where can people find you?
1: At Manisha Krishnan on Twitter.
2: This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by So-Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please help us make it. Go to canadaland.com join or click on the link in the show notes. for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.
0: A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will let me serve in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.